Welcome to Vision is More Than 2020, a podcast aimed at talking about your vision, your eyes, and how they play a role in overall visual and systemic function. Dr. Zolnicki and Lakowski, with the help of various guests, will work to help you understand more about your visual system and all the pieces to the vision puzzle. Welcome to this week's episode of Vision is More Than 2020. We're here to talk about lazy eye and debunking the mystery around lazy eye. Before we go into the episode, let's talk about our weekly insight. Uh, As you guys know, both Dr. L and I have uh, two young children. My son is six months and Dr. L's is seven. So they are exploring the world of food. So we are both doing something called baby led weaning, which is kind of a new way to feed your child instead of just the very basic puree feeding where you're spoon feeding your child. So baby led weaning really, the idea is that you give them what you're eating and they learn how to pick up the food and chew it a very different way than just like taking a spoon and kind of force feeding them. The reasons why I love baby led weaning are vast, but from a visual standpoint, I really like that baby led weaning encourages that early development of eye-hand coordination. And I know, Dr. L, you're probably seeing this with Teddy firsthand as he's your first, that you can see them see what they want to pick up and the reach and the grab and then the shove into their mouth. And it's really exciting to kind of watch that process as not only a mom, but as an optometrist. Absolutely. I have seen a huge jump up in Teddy's gross motor and fine motor skills by introducing food in this manner. Just them even having the chance to practice something in that way throughout the day where they have to visualize where something is in space, then make that motor response, pick it up with their fingers, bring it right to their mouth is such a great building tool for their motor skills. And then you see your babies translate that into their play with other objects, too. It's really crazy to see. Yeah, I and I like that you brought up that it's not just the gross motor, it's also that fine motor, that like pincer grasp, him being able to pick up smaller smaller and smaller objects. And that that pincer grasp eventually translates into being able to hold a pen to color and to draw and to write their name and write in general. So laying these early foundational skills are so critical. So it's it's not something that every parent hears about because a lot of times when you have a baby, you just listen to what your parents do. You know, you say, Mom, what, what did you do? How did you feed me? And most times it was just puree and spoon feeding. Um, and there's benefits to that, too. But really, I encourage all of our listeners to really look into baby Len weeding to help lay those early motor and visual motor skills. So now we want to talk a little bit to you about amblyopia and what that means. So amblyopia is essentially the medical term for what a lot of people call a lazy eye, uh, which Dr. Zelnicki and I are not huge fans of that term. I think that it puts a really bad connotation onto what amblyopia is, especially in a child who is maybe being diagnosed with this. To hear that word lazy eye, it puts a little bit of onus on the child as if they haven't been using that eye, they're being lazy about it. Uh, And so we're going to kind of describe more so the underlying medical condition and try to debunk some of the myths that might be out there or misinformation that might be out there about amblyopia. Why this is so important is amblyopia really is fairly prevalent in our world. About two to four percent of the population are diagnosed with amblyopia, and it's a very misunderstood diagnosis. Um, I had a patient 
a few weeks ago that came in, an eight-year-old patient. The father brought the girl in because she had her first eye exam elsewhere earlier in the year, was diagnosed for the first time with amblyopia, and was basically told, it's because you have a really high prescription in one eye. It's really too high to prescribe anything for you, and there's really nothing that I can do. Go see Dr. Lakowski at Twin Forks Optometry. Maybe there's something that, that she can do, but you're a little too old to do anything, and your prescription's too high. End of story. Um, so the father, you know, was really at a loss as to why he was given that information, you know, was very on board with trying to seek out anything that he could do for his daughter, because until that exam, he had no idea that one of her eyes was really not functioning very well at all, and she had very reduced vision in the eye. So we're going to talk a little bit about what causes amblyopia, why it occurs, the process of it, and then the many, many things that we can do about it, even at older ages. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what amblyopia even means. Amblyopia is defined as the reduction of your best corrected visual acuity to less than 20-20, or at least a two-line difference in the visual acuity between the two eyes. So essentially reduced visual acuity. We're going to talk a little bit more about how it's, it's much more than just reduced vision in the eye. Really, the overall function of the eye can be reduced, but that's the standard definition. So what causes amblyopia? It means that an eye has an abnormal visual experience during a very critical point in time of life when your eye is really forming that connection to the brain, and the brain is learning how to process visual input from that eye. So big causes of amblyopia can be refractive causes, meaning a really high prescription. Typically, this means a really high prescription in one eye and a very minimal prescription in the other eye, or a very asymmetric prescription between the two eyes. This very rarely can also cause binocular amblyopia if there's a really high prescription in both eyes. However, that's not very common. Another big cause of amblyopia is something called strabismus, which essentially means an eye turn. Um, so again, if you have one eye that is aligned and another eye that is turning out or in, that eye that is turning can develop amblyopia. You can then have a combination of these two things. You can have a combination of a, a prescription difference and an eye turn that can lead to this process of amblyopia. And then the last cause is something called deprivation amblyopia, where there's a physical block essentially to the visual input from one eye. Um, two really big causes in younger children are something called ptosis, which means a lid droop. So if the lid is coming down enough to block the line of sight in an eye, the child will have reduced visual input in that eye. Another really big congenital cause of amblyopia is a cataract. Some children are unfortunately born with cataracts and they're usually quite dense. And again, that, that eye will not get the normal visual input that it should. I was just gonna say, I think that the listeners are probably surprised that there's more than um, an eye turn that can cause amblyopia. I, a lot of people, when they hear lazy eye, they associate it with an eye turn or someone, you know, eyes who aren't, aren't aligned. So I know in our practice, sometimes parents come to us and say they have refractive amblyopia and the parents looks at, looks at me and will say, what do you mean they have a lazy eye? Their eye doesn't turn. That's probably the first myth for people to understand and to debunk is that you don't have to have an eye turn to have a quote unquote lazy eye or amblyopia. Right. I think those are the people that stand out. You know, when you look at them, you can sometimes tell there's something going on. You can see the eye turning out or in. But these other causes I'm describing, in terms of cosmesis, there's really no way that you could tell just by looking at somebody that this process is happening.
Another thing that is really important that Dr. Lacalzi touched on is that these happen during a very critical period of time. And it's typically between the ages of six to eight that amblyopia can develop. And I think that's really something to note because you want to, and this goes back to our tips from last week of getting that early eye exam because it you'll be able to detect those early changes and those early potential causes of amblyopia by getting those early eye exams before that critical period of six to eight um, where things are kind of set in stone with what's happening with the visual system. And the, another reason that baseline exam is so important is because a lot of people with amblyopia are, are asymptomatic because really the primary symptom is blurry vision in one eye. However, a lot of people don't notice this unless they occlude an eye. You know, we all function throughout the day with both eyes open. Um, and with both eyes open, your brain really just tends to use the image from the eye that is seeing clearly or is seeing well um, and tends to ignore the other eye, which we're going to go into a little bit. So for someone who's never really covered either eye and compared the image, they may never notice that they have reduced vision in an eye. And it's often first picked up at that initial eye exam where one of the first things we check when you come into the office is you're entering visual acuity and we hand you an occluder and ask you to cover each eye and people go, oh my goodness, I can't see with this eye. I never realized that. So it's really important, especially in children who have a hard time knowing what they should be seeing or vocalizing if something is off, it's really important to have those baseline exams in place. Absolutely. So now, why does amblyopia develop? I think that's a big question that parents have and want to understand. Like, did they do something wrong? Is there, you know, why and how does this happen? And first and foremost, what I tell my parents is that it's nothing that they did. This is just your child. You know, some kids have longer feet that, you know, one, one longer foot than the other. They just have different prescriptions in their eyes and there's nothing or they have a susceptibility because of genetics to an eye turn and there's nothing that they did wrong but now that we know that there is something impacting how the two eyes are working together how how do we understand why the brain is shutting that eye off and the big reason is developing something called suppression so let's back up a little bit and let's learn a little bit about how the two eyes kind of work together our basis of our vision is that one eye sees one image, the other eye sees the other. Our brain takes those two images and puts them together to form one uniform precept of our world. If there is a difference between the two images, say the right eye is seeing clearer than the left, the brain gets a little bit confused and doesn't know how to put the two images together. So you it, to in order to avoid that confusing image or to avoid seeing double, the brain basically says, ooh, let's just shut one of these eyes off to allow for easier, easier viewing. What I tell parents is basically the brain is so smart, it says, I'm getting weird information from one eye that doesn't match the other eye, so I'm just going to shut that eye off. And you know, initially a lot of, and for the thought for a very, very long time was that amblyopia was just a monocular or a one-eyed problem. But now with current research, we're realizing that it's not just a monocular issue. It's actually a binocular issue where the 
overall function of the visual system is depressed. But it's really something to note that the, the amblyopic eye doesn't just have reduced acuity, it also has reduced focusing function, reduced ocular motor or tracking skills, reduced contrast sensitivity. And that then translates into, like I was saying, an overall depressed binocular visual system. And the understanding that amblyopia is a monocular manifestation of a binocular disorder is really what's changing how we treat amblyopia. Right. And I, I think that's a really good point because, you know, some people listening might say, well, it sounds like the brain's doing a smart thing. It, it built in its own mechanism to essentially treat the amblyopia. It's just turning off the eye that sees really blurry or see is making you see double vision. But to have our most efficient visual system, we really need to have that binocular function in place. The two eyes working together is what enables us to use our vision efficiently, to see in 3D, to have appropriate depth perception. So while these patients may not really have reported symptoms and the brain kind of built in this mechanism to help it, these patients really don't have the visual skills necessary to have the most efficient and comfortable vision. So it's something that absolutely has to be addressed. And there are many, many options in terms of treatment that are available to us. So let's talk a little bit about how we can treat amblyopia. Usually the first line of treatment in someone with amblyopia is through corrective lenses. So this particularly applies to those patients we discussed that have refractive amblyopia where their glasses prescription is essentially causing this process to occur. Um, the baseline is to really try to prescribe for the amblyopic eye part of that prescription. This can be done through either glasses or contact lenses. Um, like I've mentioned, it's usually a high prescription in one eye that's occurring, that's causing this process. So sometimes that can be really difficult to tolerate in a pair of glasses. Just optically, if there's essentially no prescription in one lens and then a really high prescription in the other lens, you're going to get size image difference between the two eyes. Cosmetically, the glasses are going to look a little funny. And it can be really hard for the brain to adapt viewing through lenses of that sort. Uh, so sometimes we have to start with partial prescriptions and then build up the prescription. Or contact lenses are a great option where the image size difference is kind of taken away and you can prescribe a lot more of a prescription in the contact lens and a patient can tolerate that. And that's really what comes into play when we say that we put contact lenses in kids at a very young age. Typically, we do when they're in their early teenage years, um, but with a child, say they come in five or six and they have a very large prescription in one eye, this is a really great opportunity to correct them by putting a contact lens in their eye and teaching the parent and even the kid how to put the contact lens in and out so it doesn't, there, there is a solution, right? Going back to your, your patient you had just a few weeks ago, that doctor said, you can't get glasses because there's too, it's too different in, in the two eyes. It's gonna make him uncomfortable, which is a very true statement. The glasses wouldn't be comfortable, but that doesn't mean that there's no option for that child and that contact lenses is the solution in that instance. Right, that's the exact conversation I had with that girl and her father was we started with a partial glasses prescription. I'm going to monitor her visual acuity gains from there. And then we talked about likely starting contact lens wear in the near future as we build up her prescription. Awesome. Another option in terms of corrective lenses are those patients that have strabismus or an eye turn. Sometimes prism can be a useful tool in glasses to try to help gain a little bit of alignment between the two eyes. 
The next area of management is an area that's become a little bit more controversial in the, the past couple years. It's essentially penalization therapy. So what does that mean? That means turning off the good eye for a period of time and allowing the amblyopic eye to have some visual stimulation. Uh, because with the two eyes open, the brain is going to continue to just suppress the amblyopic eye and use the information from the eye that is seeing well. So by shutting off the better seeing eye, you're giving the amblyopic eye a chance to view the world and get stimulated. This can be done a few different ways. The most traditional way is through simply wearing an eye patch. Um, so putting a patch over the better seeing eye and allowing the amblyopic eye to view objects throughout the day. Another way is actually by prescribing drops that are essentially dilation drops that blur, again, the better seeing eye and allow the amblyopic eye to have a chance to view the world. This is a little bit controversial because this has been really the mainstay treatment of amblyopia for a very, very long time, been very well studied. But with the advent of so much newer research in showing that amblyopia is really a binocular two-eyed problem, this fit treatment option is really becoming phased out. Um, they found much better visual acuity gains and improved visual function by really treating amblyopia as a two-eyed disorder from the get-go. So when you think about it, when you're putting that patch on or those dilation drops, you're just shutting off the good eye. You're not really doing anything to work on the two eyes working together, the brain processing the information from both eyes. You're just simply shutting off the other eye then. So I've even seen in some amblyopic patients, especially in patients with eye turns, sometimes things just switch over. Mm-hmm. You know, the eye that turns right. more then starts to become more aligned and then they just start to turn the other eye. So I think this newer research is really wonderful and that it's showing that there's much more that we can do other than just simply shutting off the good eye. Right. And I think we both have had adult patients that have said, I did some patching when I was little, but I, I didn't I wasn't compliant with the patch as a child. So there's nothing I can do with my, you know, at this point, which is so far from the truth, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I think patients, you know, in kids, it's so hard to do the patching and to do it accurately and the way, quote unquote, how it's prescribed, because some older school doctors will prescribe to be patched six to eight hours a day. Can you imagine walking around with one eye for six to eight, a, a blurry eye at that for six to eight hours a day. It just doesn't make sense to do that anymore. And I think it's important to, to note that we do a little bit of patching, right? But it's guided patching. It's not just throw a patch on for that eight hours. It really is uh, guided, instructed patching. And it's really more so that patching is designed to help increase those monocular skills, before and then simultaneously also working on the binocular skills. So I got a little bit ahead of myself by talking about the therapy portion, but there's one other option that we talk about with uh, treatment, especially for that strabismic or eye turn type of amblyopia. And that's surgery. And surgery, similar to patching, is a bit controversial, especially in the optometric community, because a lot of binocular vision optometrists really are not a proponent for surgery because the surgery is really just looking at structure. It's looking at the alignment of the eyes. And what we're really looking at is the function of the binocular vision system and the function of the eye. So my stance, and I think Dr. L aligns with me on this when it comes to surgery, that well-placed surgery is really a good tool 
to utilize for certain patients. But the surgery needs to be used and done in conjunction with the vision therapy because if we can attack the visual system from a structural standpoint, getting the two eyes aligned in the same playing field, but also functioning well through vision therapy, that is going to allow for the most successful treatment of the amblyopia. And that's really the, the, what our goal is for any one of our patients is that they are successfully treated and can see the best that they can. So surgery is definitely an option for some, but not all. Uh, and that's okay. <laughs> now, my favorite way of treating amblyopia is vision therapy, right? Because we're getting to the root of why the two eyes aren't working together through therapy. If we're getting them in the appropriate glasses prescription and maxing out their visual acuity gains through that, then through the therapy, we are able to work on those those skills, those visual skills that have been depressed because of the, the amblyopia. So in therapy, we really do work monocular skills first. So we build up those uh, accommodative skills, those focusing skills, those tracking skills. And what I typically do is we treat the uh, lazy eye or amblyopic eye two times as much in the therapy room as the regular seeing eye. We don't want to leave that regular seeing eye, the, the quote unquote good seeing eye, out. We want to still work on those visual skills as well so that they are even as we're progressing through the therapy. And then we work through something called a monocular fixation in a binocular field. It's called MFBF. And this is a very, uh, this is the, the, tr the, the mainstay of amblyopic treatment now. It basically means we're working the amblyopic eye, having it lead the work, but in a binocular situation where the two eyes are open. And for those that are listening, if you or your child have amblyopia, you might be familiar with red and green therapy. And there's even some video games that you can find online that really encourage this red and green or red and blue type of therapy that really encourages that amblyopic eye to do the work, but both eyes are still working together underlying, which is really, really setting the groundwork for the next step, which is building those binocular skills, building the 3D vision, building the anti-suppression activities so that, that that amblyopic eye, when it is starting to play a role, it doesn't get shut off or kind of overrun by that good eye. So the vision therapy is really critical in getting the person to their peak visual function and their peak binocularity. Those are all of the many management options that are available for amblyopia. I know for Dr. Zilnick and myself, the way our flow usually looks is we usually will prescribe a prescription that's there if necessary, sometimes partial at first, and then we'll build it up either in glasses or contact lenses. Then we typically follow you in about six to eight weeks just to see how your visual acuity and function improves just by simply wearing that prescription. It should be noted that wearing that prescription does not just magically Im improve the vision the way that it does when we traditionally prescribe glasses because this process of suppression has occurred. So from there, once we, we see what visual acuity gains we have and that plateaus, then we move on to maybe some modified patching if necessary. And then we typically recommend this course of vision therapy to really work on 
like Dr. Zolniki discussed, the monocular function of the amblyopagi all the way up to really building that binocularity for the patient. Now, traditionally, a lot of these management options were thought to really just benefit younger children, really children that haven't hit that end of that critical window that we discussed, that six to eight year old range, where the visual pathways are really formed between the two eyes and the brain. But there has been so much newer research in the area of neuroplasticity that now we know that's simply not true. There's a lot of options that we can do for our older amblyopia patients as well. And I think we could probably do a whole episode talking about adult amblyopes, but we just want the listeners out there to know that if you're an adult who has amblyopia and you've never tried any of these management options, there are things that we can do to help you. Sometimes the visual gains that we that we get aren't you know, the same as if you were managed when you were younger, but we can certainly improve your visual function. There's a, a really great advocate for this. Uh, this woman called Stereo Sue um, <laughs> wrote a book called Fixing My Gaze, where she was an amblyope untreated until she was an adult. Um, she was very committed to a very long course of intense vision therapy, but she was actually able to regain stereo vision, which means 3D vision, and it had a huge impact on her life. Um, so it is possible to treat adult amblyopes as well. Right, and I think it's really uh, something special and even almost more rewarding for our adult amblyopic patients because they've lived their life thinking that we they nothing can be done. And then you tell them, wait a second, no, we can. And we do the course of vision therapy and guide that. And they are typically so excited because they've made all these adaptations to kind of get through life. And, the, you know, they just wrote themselves off as not good readers or unable to uh, perform certain things or play certain sports. And then they are, then they realize, wait a second, there is a treatment option and we, I can do these things. And when they are able to do the things that they thought they never could do, it's so rewarding from our standpoint because you've helped them and changed their life. And it's really, really exciting. So like Dr. L said, if you are an adult amblyope, there are definite treatment options for you. So we hope that you learned a lot about lazy eyes and what they actually are, um, that you understand now how that, that lazy eye term isn't really our favorite. We hope people out there start to refer to it as amblyopia now, now that you know so much about it. Um, you know, it doesn't just mean that it's someone with an eye turn. There can be other causes of it. Absolutely get a baseline eye exam to rule this process out since there really are typically no symptoms other than blurry vision when you cover an eye and that there really are many, many management options out there, much more so than just throwing an eye patch on, which isn't fun for any kid to do. Absolutely not. Uh, so guys, we are so excited for the next series of um, podcasts coming out. Next week, we're going to be doing a vision and learning subject where we are going to learn all about the visual skills that are contributing, that contribute to really successful learning. Uh, so you can follow us on our Facebook or Instagram at twinforksoptometry.com. You can leave comments or questions and we'll be sure to answer those. I hope you guys have a great rest of the week.